G'day and welcome once again to the Bernie Gainer Show. It is great to have your company. Last week, President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden faced off in the first presidential debate. This was an important moment in the campaign with the US election now just 30 days away. In many ways, it was also a bizarre moment. Joe Biden entered this debate ahead in the polls and favorite to win the election, even though he leads an organization that believes it can control the weather. It really does. Just think about that for a second. As a result, Joe Biden will pursue the same policies that have been enacted in California, a state that is now banning petrol powered cars, even though it cannot produce enough electricity to keep the lights on. California has had rolling blackouts this year because it has moved from baseload power supply to woke energy powered by windmills. In California's future, the only people who will be able to drive anywhere will be those rich enough to own a Tesla and their own private power plant. Joe Biden wants to extend this future to all Americans. This is insanity. Joe Biden and the Democrats are also so crazy that they will tell you with a straight face that a man can become a woman. They'll do it proudly. They won't even wince as they say those words. And for much of this year, Joe Biden supporters have been tearing down statues, vandalizing churches, looting businesses, murdering police officers. Joe Biden's campaign in a normal world would be considered lunacy, insanity, and completely unacceptable. Yet Joe Biden is leading the polls. On the other hand, Donald Trump, who has been married three times, who has appeared on the cover of Playboy magazine and who supports homosexual marriage is the great conservative champion. That is bizarre as well. If Joe Biden's campaign platform is a testament to the arrogant insanity of modern man, then in the fullness of time, it is quite possible that Donald Trump will come to symbolize the complete failure of modern conservative politics. Both of these failures have their root in the same cause. Biden's secular insanity is the natural progression of mankind without religion, while the inept conservative campaigns of the past two generations are the inevitable result of an attempt to maintain a moral social order without the church as well. That is why the left and much of the right are headed in the same direction, off the cliff. They're just doing that at different speeds. This is not a criticism of Trump, by the way. For all his faults, Trump is a patriotic American who at least appears to know that patriotism and ability to make things are necessary to make any country great. I think that he's doing a great good and I hope that he succeeds. Indeed, if he does, it may well be that Trump's greatest success is not so much what he achieves, but what he sets up for his successor to accomplish. Instead, I'm criticizing conservatives, all of us, me included. We should all be embarrassed that we have become so hopeless that Trump has become the guy. Seriously? And the reason Trump is the guy is because he is at least proud to state what he believes. In contrast, conservatives generally act like frightened losers. So when the woke police demand that we accept that a man can be a woman, most conservatives respond by politely and obediently adopting the preferred pronouns of those who are clearly insane bullies. And that does not help anything at all. So what did we learn from this first debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden? Firstly, America has reached a point where there is such a divide between reality, which Trump stands for, uh, to the best of his ability, and the left, that there is really little point debating anything anymore. Or to be more precise, it is impossible to debate, to debate because there is no common ground left, not even over the definition of words, and so certainly not over obvious 
objective facts and truth. So all you have is shouting on stage. We welcome the Republican nominee, President Trump, and the Democratic nominee, Vice President Biden. Hello, man. Well, you're certainly going that, to socialist. You're ahead. going to this, socialist this, this I am And the they're going to dominate Party. you, Joe. You know that. This man doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't want you're to answer senator. the question. I'm not going to answer the question. Why because, would you answer that because question? Because the you question is, the question is, the radical question, left. Will you shut up? Your... America, a deeply polarized nation, is fast approaching an impasse where neither side of politics can work with the other to forge a better nation. It is impossible not because of bad manners or a loss of respect, but because of the real differences between those who want to overthrow Western civilization and those who do not just cannot be bridged. One side or the other will prevail entirely and it will be achieved through sheer political force. That means America is on a precipice and that is a dangerous place to be. America will either regain its senses or face totalitarianism or even internal conflict. The second thing we learnt is that Joe Biden is not a completely spent force. Many people expected him to crack in this debate. After all, Biden has been hiding during this campaign, and when he has popped out, this is what has been served up. That's why I made it a priority my entire career to work closely with you. From the time I got to the Senate 180 years ago, <laughs> you know, as well as my tenure as vice president. I guess... Joe Biden does have the experience to be president after all, considering he was first elected in 1840, 20 years before the US Civil War began. But during the debate, Biden appeared sharp. There were no stumbles like that, and if anything, he was helped by Trump, who often interrupted him. Questions over Joe Biden's health are important, especially given Kamala Harris, a radical leftist revolutionary, will take over as president if his health fails over the next four years. However, those questions will they take a backseat to other issues following this debate? Thirdly, while much of the reporting of the debate has focused on how messy and heated, heated it was, on the issues of substance, Joe Biden failed, particularly in relation to the Democrats' plans to completely revolutionise America's political and judicial systems and law and order. During this campaign, many a Democratic Party have called for the District of Columbia, the US Capitol, and Puerto Rico to be made states. In fact, Three months ago, the Democratic-controlled Congress, America's version of our lower house, voted to make the District of Columbia a state. All right, the quest right now to make the District of Columbia a state. They've attempted this before, but this is further along than many thought they would get. The House voting to make Washington, D.C. the 51st state. But as our chat program can tell you, uh, it's a big leap from there. Explain the process, Chad. That's right. Well, they tried this back in the early 1990s. It failed. It passed today. The vote was 232 to 180, mostly party line. One Democratic defection, Colin Peterson of Minnesota. All Republicans voted no. Also another no, Justin Amash, the independent representative from Michigan. I think we need to exhaust all of the alternatives. For example, some retrocession to, Virginia, to Maryland, just as they've done with Virginia before. But I'm not confident that this bill is the way to do it. The founders originally carved Washington out of land from Maryland and Virginia. That's so no state could boast that it was home to the Capitol. D.C. would likely send two Democratic senators to Capitol Hill. As you just saw, this is all about the U.S. Senate. If Washington, D.C. was made a state, it is almost certain that the Democrats would gain two senators and control of the Senate, probably forever. 
That's what this is about, sheer political power, and it is important. It would mean that the Democrats would then also be in control of the US judicial system. And the Democrats have a plan for that too. They simply want to increase the number of judges in America's highest court, the Supreme Court, until they get their way every single time. Obviously, this would destroy the courts and the justice system. Courts and just, uh, judges would no longer make decisions based on facts or, heaven forbid, even what was right. They would instead make decisions based on what was good for the Democratic Party. That's what the Democrats want. In fact, it is what many of them openly demand. What about after the election and going forward? Uh, Joe Biden was asked last night repeatedly if he wins the election, would he favor adding more justices to the Supreme Court? He would not answer that question. Where do you stand on that? This is long overdue court reform as far as I'm concerned, and I've been thinking about court reform and what we can do regarding the Supreme Court to make it so much more objective. And so this is not something that uh, a lot of us have not thought about. But on the other hand, that's after the election. We only have a, a serious discussion about any of these things if the Democrats take back the Senate. But the Senator, if, uh, if the president's take is approved, and uh, Biden wins the election, should he add more Supreme Court justices? Well, it will be a decision that is uh, comes to the Senate. We first have to win the majority before that can happen. But once we win the majority, God willing, everything is on the table. But Joe Biden has refused to answer any questions about this during the campaign. So he was asked again during the presidential debate. Watch his response. Are you willing to tell the American people tonight whether or not you will support either ending the filibuster or packing the court? Whatever position I take on that, that'll become the issue. The issue is the American people should speak. You should go out and vote. Make what? sure you, in fact, let people know he want you're a senator. I'm not going to answer the question Why because, you answer that because question? the you question is, the question is, radical left. Will you who shut is up, your, man. Listen, who is on your list? That's pretty brazen from Joe Biden. He flat out refused to answer if he'll pack the Supreme Court. Then, for good measure, he told Donald Trump to shut up. Joe Biden didn't answer that question for one reason. He intends to pack the Supreme Court and that will destroy America's justice system. Nations do not recover from that kind of tyranny without violence. That is where the Democrats are taking America. And on the issue of law and order, Joe Biden also had this to say about Antifa. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left, because this is not a right-wing problem. His this is a left-wing problem. This is a left-wing problem. White supremacist. Antifa's an idea, not an organization. Oh, you got it. Not malicious. That's what oh, his no, it's an FBI, idea. his okay. FBI director Gentlemen, said. Well, then you know what? No, no, that we're done. Antifa's an idea, not an organization. Oh, you Come on, man. Antifa is an idea, not an organisation. Are you serious? This is from the left-wing CNN three years ago. Welcome back to The Lead, the national lead now. By most accounts, almost all of the people protesting against the hateful bigots, the Nazis and Klansmen in Charlottesville, were peaceful. But not all of them. In their midst was a sometimes very violent group of protesters that call themselves Antifa, known to not only clash with bigots, but also sometimes with police and occasionally storefronts. At least two journalists in Virginia were assaulted by violent counter-protesters over the weekend, including this cameraman 
from the Richmond CBS affiliate. CNN's Sarah Gannon now takes us inside Antifa and shows us this group like you've never seen it before. It's 6 a.m. in Portland, Oregon, and we're headed to a bar with blacked out windows. They wanted to meet us really early in the morning because they're concerned about a lot of people being around. We are meeting members of the Rose City Antifa, short for anti-fascist. This group's main goal is to disrupt neo-Nazis and white supremacists, but also take on government and capitalism. Antifa is any group that's willing to stand up against fascists by any means necessary. By any means necessary, they say, can mean outing a white nationalist at their work or to their neighbors. Or, as we've seen recently, violence, fires, property damage, hand-to-hand combat at protests across the country. Explain to me the reasoning behind fighting. You have to make it so unpalatable to be doing white supremacist organizing that they no longer want to do that. And historically, that's what's worked. You have to put your body in the way and you have to make it speak in a language that they understand. And sometimes that is violence. There's no firm number on how many Antifa activists there are in the U.S. because there isn't any one organization. Most are local groups that recruit and communicate through social media. But experts who track these organizations say their membership is growing in response to the rise of white national groups and the election of President Donald Trump. Violence and property destruction led to more than 200 arrests in Washington, D.C. on Inauguration Day. Prosecutors say they were wearing masks covered head to toe in black, a tactic the Antifa call black block. People dress in black block for a few things. One, Scott Crow has been leading anarchist and militant leftist groups for decades. So people put on the masks so that we can all become anonymous. And then therefore we are able to move more freely and do what we need to do, whether it is illegal or not. So some people will push back on that and say that the black block is to keep people from being identified and arrested when they break the law, when they commit crime. Damn right. It's a good way to avoid uh, the ramifications of law enforcement. That footage comes from 2017. Antifa has only grown since then. The violent presence of Antifa has been felt across America this year. And Antifa does not hide that it breaks the law, uses violence, or that it takes measures to evade punishment. This should not be accepted, but it is. And Joe Biden not only refuses to condemn Antifa, he pretends that Antifa does not even exist. There is a reason for this too. Joe Biden needs Antifa to gain power. While individual members of Antifa generally hate the Democrats because they're part of the system, the Democrats do not hate Antifa. The Democrats like Antifa. The Democrats think violence on the streets will help Joe Biden's campaign. Worse than that, there is a growing number of Democrats who want to overthrow the system, just like Antifa does too. They see Antifa as useful foot soldiers ushering in a new era. Antifa is in effect the private militia of the radical left of the Democratic Party. And Joe Biden needs these guys to keep on board to win the election. That's why he pretends Antifa does not exist. At the moment, it's a win-win situation for the entire Democratic Party. Work together and get rid of Trump. At some point in the not too distant future, however, that dynamic has to change. Groups like Antifa don't just carry out violence against Republicans. They will intimidate anyone to get their way. Future Democratic Party candidates will end up being elected by their party, provided that everyone in the party knows that it will be, uh, if they vote the wrong way, there will be dangerous repercussions. 
right is right, is fast becoming the only currency on the democratic left. Next year, this philosophy might be running America. And that is the biggest message of all to take away from last week's presidential debate. Another fallout from the presidential debate is the blatant and open campaign of lies against Donald Trump told by the mainstream media. Consider this headline from CNN. White House shows no sign of backing down from Trump's refusal to condemn white supremacy. According to the CNN, white supremacists are the problem and Donald Trump has refused to condemn them. It is white supremacists who have been looting Nike stores, pulling down statues and setting police stations on fire across America. Now that is another lie too. Black Lives Matter activists are the ones openly boasting that looting is just reparations, you know. If somebody decides to loot a Gucci or a Macy's or a Nike, because that makes sure that that person eats. That makes sure that that person has clothes. That's reparations. That is reparations. Anything they want to take, take it because these businesses have insurance. They're going to get their money back. My people aren't getting anything. Smash the windows, take their stuff. They have insurance. It's hard to believe anyone would say that, but they do. Then they go out and do exactly what they say. The Democrats are hoping these people will vote them into power. But CNN is pretending, lying, that white supremacists are the problem and that Donald Trump is protecting them. But what exactly did Donald Trump say during the debate? How about you watch for yourself? You have repeatedly we criticized the the vice president for not specifically calling out Antifa and other left-wing extremist right. groups. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups sure. and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland? Sure, are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, I, go would ahead, say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing not from the right so way. So what, what, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. Supremacists and right you like me to white supremacists and right proud boys. White supremacists and right proud boys. Stand back and stand by. From the actual evidence, the video of the debate, it is clear that Donald Trump did not refuse to condemn white supremacists. Sure, he said, he condemns them. Then he was asked if he was willing to tell them to stand down. He did that too. He was then asked to name a group. It was given. He then told them to stand down too. But he also raised the truth, the fact that the violence and chaos in America is being driven by violent leftist groups. He said that needed to be condemned most of all. As we have seen, it was Joe Biden who said Antifa does not exist. He, not Trump, is the one in denial of reality. So is CNN. It needed a story to obscure all of this, so it lied. It made one up about Trump refusing to condemn white supremacists. That's what happened. CNN has told a blatant lie, yet it is not fact-checked. Facebook and Twitter have not taken it down. They don't care. They just hate Trump so much, they will go to any lengths to hide the truth about what he said. Liars, shame on them all. Turning to Victoria now, it is increasingly clear that dictator Dan's regime is starting to crumble around him. Cafe owner Michelle Loiolo has taken the Premier to court for imposing his draconian curfew. It kept Melburnians imprisoned in their homes from 8pm to 5am. Victoria's Chief Health Officer has admitted that this curfew 
had nothing to do with disease prevention. And Dan Andrews himself stated that it was imposed to make life easier for the police. That really is a startling admission from a Premier. He took his citizens' freedom away uh, for them to leave their home, so it would be easy to take other freedoms from them too. Now, that's not what happens in Australia, we all thought, but it just did, and for months. To the surprise of no one, just days after this court case started, Melbourne's curfew was lifted. I think all Melburnians owe a debt of gratitude to Michelle Loiolo. It is not easy to go to court, but she has, and it has been worth it. During the hearings last week, Michelle Giles, who signed the curfew orders, admitted that there was no evidence that the curfew was effective in stopping the spread of coronavirus. Gee, that's a surprise. Michelle Giles also admitted that she had asked the government for evidence that the curfew would be effective, but this evidence was not provided to her either. She went ahead and signed the curfew orders anyway. I guess that's just what happens now when you have lockdowns for political rather than medical reasons. Michelle Giles also admitted to the court that dictator Dan's office would revise their health orders and then send them to the health officers to sign. That makes a complete mockery of dictator Dan, who has been claiming that he is just a politician listening to the scientists. Instead, it is clear that he runs a regime where the scientists simply do what the politicians want. The silver lining in this farce in Victoria is that people are starting to stand up and fight back. We need more of this, much more of it. Monica Smith is one of those who has shown remarkable bravery to do just that. She launched a survey asking Victorians if they supported the lockdowns. And within a couple of days, 20,000 Victorians had contacted her to express their frustration with their dictatorial premier. So Monica Smith started Reignite Democracy Australia. Monica is helping Victorians to get their voice out even when they cannot leave home. I spoke to Monica during the week about the lockdowns and the impact that they have been having on people's lives. Here is part of that interview. I understand you live in Melbourne or not far from Melbourne. What's it been like in Victoria? Can you give Australians who aren't in Melbourne in particular a snapshot into to life as a, a Melbourneian over the past three or four months? Yeah, that's, that's an extremely loaded question. And I think it would be very different for, for every demographic. Uh, I think I've been spared a lot of the emotional trauma because of what I've been doing. It's kept me very distracted. And I also have a really great family support network that keeps my mental state quite well. Um, however, from what I've heard from other people is absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, you just got to look at the different demographic demographics. So you've got the little kids are probably okay. They'll get through it, you know, but the teenagers I think is a big problem. Suicide rates have gone up. Parents have lost just all their children have just they're breaking apart basically um business owners you know it, it's just it's never ending but i'll tell you what the biggest issue is i think mentally is that we are imprisoned in our own homes and although it's it looks good because we've got our you know we've got our tv and we've got our food and all that sort of stuff i went i went to go drive 10 minutes away the other day with my mum to go to a support group um and we got knocked back at the checkpoint and I didn't cause a fight or anything. I didn't want to do that. But I was told to go home. <laughs> and that was that was a really weird feeling. And mentally, I think that's a real struggle to know that you cannot go 10 minutes away. So some people are faring better than others. But then you see the, 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 the footage of grandmas getting arrested and pregnant women getting arrested. And if you, if you watch too much of the media, you're going to become seriously depressed. 
As you can see, the lockdowns are having a serious impact across society, and I applaud Monica for her efforts. This is one of the few good news stories coming out of the lockdowns. You can find out more about Reignite Democracy Australia by visiting its website, reignitedemocracyaustralia.com.au, including its campaigns underway opposing the omnibus bill, which will allow Victorian government to deputise public servants to arrest Victorians if they are considered a health risk. Uh, and you can also see my full interview with Monica. It's available for you free to view on the Good Source website. When I was dragged before the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Board in 2014, and that's getting onto a decade ago now, I told everyone who would listen to me that it was only a matter of time before conservative politicians faced the same music. In fact, I also said that these same conservative politicians had a vested interest in defending people like me. If I go down, the case law will be used against someone more important. That has always been the plan of the ever-offended anti-free speech Rainbow Brigade. Does anyone seriously think that the anti-discrimination law will have done its job when some taxi driver with brain damage from Newcastle is silenced? Really? Is that the goal? I don't think so. There are far bigger fish to fry than that. Unfortunately, no one of any importance listened to me back then, not in the Liberal or National parties at least, and I was dismissed as some kind of kook. Bernie, people who brush shoulders with Liberal and National Party politicians would cite me, you probably shouldn't have said what you said. And therein lies a big problem. The mere fact that there is a complaint against you tends to discredit you, even among conservatives who should know better. Well, as I mentioned on this show a few weeks ago, Liberal Senator from Tasmania, Claire Chandler, has been dragged to the Tasmanian Equal Opportunity Commission. Her crime was to defend the truth that a man is not a woman. Now, I must admit that part of me says these politicians are now getting what they deserve. Let them fry. But that is a petty attitude and it will not help me or you or anyone else for that matter. We need Claire Chanlat to succeed in defending herself because it will help to protect all of us. That is why I've been following her case with great interest as well as a case against my friends and fellow Good Source contributor, Lowell Shelton. We need him to succeed too and that is why it is so pleasing to hear that everyday Australians have chipped in to help with Lowell's legal defence and that the complaint against Senator Claire Chandler has been withdrawn. Both of these outcomes are good, but we should not think that they are victories. Lowell Shelton's matter has not been heard and he still has a very long battle ahead of him. And the complaint against Senator Chandler was not dismissed. It was withdrawn. That means nothing except that a new complaint could be lodged tomorrow and the process would start all over again. The implicit threat is shut up or we'll make your life hell, Senator. And that's a threat that will be taken pretty seriously by many of the conservative politicians in parliament who do not have a backbone. They will self-censor because it's easier than fighting for what is right. The better news is that Senator Chandler is not choosing to silence herself to buy peace from the very people who hate her. Instead, she is out there vigorously defending the truth that a man cannot be a woman, and you cannot say that enough. It is just not possible, no matter how much power a commissar from the thought police might have over your life, and no one should bow to that kind of insane tyranny. So the day after the complaint against her was dropped, Claire Chandler was in the Australian newspaper last Friday opposing Rugby Australia's transgender participation guidelines. The good senator points out scientific evidence in the World Rugby Guidelines that women face a minimum 20 to 30% greater risk of significant neck or head injuries if they are tackled by males. 
Rugby Australia ignored this evidence when it released its trans inclusion guidelines last week. It is not mentioned at all. In fact, these guidelines do not mention a single scientific report. And there is good reason for that. If you glanced momentarily at a biology textbook and took it even slightly seriously, the entire transgender movement would collapse, would be left with what it always has been, a seriously creepy cult of a very small number of blokes who get their kicks wearing women's underwear. They would not be taken seriously by anyone at all, as long as they kept it to themselves and don't end up murdering women like the recently convicted Claremont serial killer. But alas, seriously creepy is now a woke human rights issue, even if it is not a scientific one. That's why, as Senator Claire Chandler pointed out in her article, the CEO of Sport Australia has admitted to the federal parliament that Sport Australia has not defined the term woman. Apparently, it's just too difficult for these bureaucrats to do. As a result, pretty much every two-year-old in Australia is officially smarter than one of Australia's leading sports bureaucrats. Two-year-olds instinctively know what a woman is, and that's because A, it's not a hard concept to grasp, and B, they haven't been made dumber by sitting through compulsory equality indoctrination programs. The sad reality is that this mess will end up in the courts, not kangaroo courts run on farcical anti-discrimination law, but real courts where broken women sue for damages because of the injuries suffered at the hands of men and directly caused by the insanity of woke sports bureaucrats and the anti-free speech commissars at places like the Tasmanian Equal Opportunity Commission. We can only hope that not too many women will be broken before that occurs. Well, it's that time again, Goose of the Week. Now, I must admit that when I was researching this week's award, I came to the horrible realization that Princess Harry and her husband, Meghan Markle, have not been recognized once in the entire history of this prestigious and coveted award. I'm really not sure how that has happened. I apologize profusely. On any view, Harry should be close to winning each week, but he hasn't, and he will miss out this time as well. I guess that only proves that you really do have to be a superstar to take home the Goose of the Week award. All I can say is that I'm sure Prince Harry will no doubt be in the running again next week. This week's runner-up is Clementine Ford for her advice that women should leave their husbands. No doubt any woman who follows her advice will end up as happy and fulfilled as Clementine Ford is. They will also be in the running for a Goose of the Week award as well. I'm not sure it will be worth it, but hey, feminists, fill your boots. This week's winner is Maureen Faruqi, and no, I did not just swear at you. Faruqi is a Green Senator from New South Wales, so she is eminently qualified for this award. In fact, she's probably been studying her whole life just to get herself into a position to win it, and that is no small effort. As we all know, there are a lot of very deserving loonies out there. Last week, Faruqi was whinging about federal government cuts to university funding. She might have made a point by criticising the cuts to maths and IT and science studies, but then she went ahead and ruined it all by also lamenting cuts to gender studies. And with those two words, Maureen Faruqi actually came up with all the reason you need to pull taxpayer funding from our massively bloated and pointless tertiary education sectors. Instead, Maureen Faruqi wants you to work hard and pay your taxes so that we can have more of this rubbish taught to 17 year olds who have somehow managed to get into uni after labouring away for 12 years through safe schools indoctrination. So give Maureen Faruqi a round of applause. She is this week's Goose of the Week. If 
you like this episode of the Bernie Gannon Show, I'm asking you to do two things for me. Firstly, this episode was filmed in a little shed. We would like to improve our production, but to do so, we need to build better facilities. So if you would like to donate to make that happen, please go to goodsource.news forward slash support or click the donate button on the Good Source website and donate what you can. And secondly, please help get the word out. If you did like this episode, please share it on social media. Help it to go viral. Uh, share it on Facebook, like it on YouTube, send it to your friends, and let's try and get the views up. Thank you for your help. The Bernard Gaynor Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Bernard Gaynor. To watch, listen to, or read more content without the SJWPC fact filter, visit goodsource.news, good S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show. 